seated. Also, at this time, we're going to dismiss our children to go and hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ with Mrs. Stark, so we dismiss them. Trust God will use that time to shape them uh, in their faith. It's not babysitting, although some parents feel like it is, right? <laughs> it's uh, time to really teach and instruct our children in the faith. You know, I'm always amazed how things can unexpectedly uh, and, and surprisingly, and at the very same time almost perfectly, come together. Uh, a real converging, if you will, of two things that weren't together coming together at the very same time and, and matching up quite nicely. This week I was taking my daughters uh, to see her aunt. We were meeting halfway from Buffalo, kind of near the Geneva exit, and we had no idea where she was. And so, of course, being the uh, legal man that I am, had Evelyn text her? No. Uh, we sent her a text message, where are you? And all of a sudden, as we're coming across the curb, there she is, unexpectedly, surprisingly, right there in front of us at the very same time. Who would have thought that that would happen, especially given our chaotic life and, and her having a new baby, that the perfect timing, two things would come together. Maybe a little bit more significant uh, this past Thursday, I was in the back parking lot staring at many of the trees. If you look in the back, you may see we've cleaned out a ton. A lot of hard work has gone into pulling out a lot of the brush and, and all the shrubbery and all that stuff and trying to clean up that back lot. And we still have a ton of trees kind of creating a canopy over the driveway and, you know, there's limbs over the building and all that. And I'm like, man, we really need to look into somehow trimming that back. And then all of a sudden, something popped in my head. I think there's a tree trimmer guy down the street. And so I got in my car, and I drove down the street, and I just thought, well, you never know. Maybe he'll be there. And sure enough, at the end of Belmore, the, the tree trimmer guy on his truck was sitting in his truck with absolutely nothing to do. And so, or at least he was on break. So I introduced myself to him and told him who we were and all that. And so next thing you know, we're in the back parking lot. He's taking a look at all the trees, and he's giving his, he's doing the math in his head and giving his estimate kind of off the cuff. And, and then all of a sudden, this guy by the name of, his name is Justin, uh, began to just open up his heart, began to share some of his life story. He began to, to reveal some things about his past and some brokenness and some regret. And at the same time, he, he began to say, you know, I, I really believe. In Jesus, I really believe this stuff, but I, I've been so disconnected from the church for such a long time, and you know, I really need to find a home. I need to find a place. And again, I, in that moment, as I was sharing Christ with him and o sharing a little bit about who we are and what we believe as a church, specifically about Jesus Christ, it became apparent that this was no accident. Our meeting. There was, it was no accident that I was thinking about the parking lot. It was no accident that we were thinking about the limbs and all of a sudden driving down the street to meet this guy by the name of Justin who happened to be there in the middle of the day. See, I think God is orchestrating things behind the scenes. Obviously, we still wait and see what God does, 
Maybe we could get to know Justin a little bit more. But it's always amazing to me to see how God, while we may not necessarily be seeing it in the moment or at the time, is orchestrating events, bringing things together, circumstances, conversations, and relationships, all so that he can use his people, draw his people, all for his glory. Do you see that in your life? There's no accidents. There's no coincidences. God is sovereignly at work in our lives, connecting us, I believe, to people that need him. Amen? So it's interesting today, again, less significant, that we're looking at a command in Exodus 20, verse 12. It's honor your father and your mother. We're continuing our series in Exodus. We're looking at the, the Ten Commandments. And wouldn't you know it, it just so happens to be what? Father's Day. Some of you are thinking, wow, that's incredible planning. It's actually not. <laughs> it's actually not. We had, at least myself, had no idea that this kind of lined up. And as we looked at the schedule, I don't remember sitting down and saying, hey, let's make sure that command number five is on June 21st. So I think God is up to something today. I think God wants to speak to us this morning, as he does every week, specifically about honoring mothers and fathers, honoring generations. He wants to speak to us uh, very clearly. And also, my hope is, is that there will be grace and good news for people like you and me who recognize that there are imperfect parents in the world. And also, that there are imperfect children. And so God wants to speak to us today from His Word. And so, I invite you to turn with me to Exodus 20. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. Let's remember where we are. This is not just a list of do's and don'ts per se, but this is out of a redemption that Israel has already received. They've been saved from slavery. They've been redeemed. They've been brought out of the land of slavery and are now being brought in the process of journeying through the wilderness to a promised land that God has given to them. They've already been saved. And so now obedience to the Lord's command is in response to redemption. Let's not forget that. And so we turn to his word, and this is what it says. Verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself the carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But, showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. 
But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Jesus found himself in somewhat of a dialogue with the spiritual gurus of the day. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the spiritual big dogs, those who had it all together. Or, as I said before, the, the, uh, the um, Jesus Storybook Bible calls them the super-duper holy people. right? The people that seem to have it all together. And they asked him, they tried to set him up, tried to test him, as they often did. And they always failed miserably. And they asked the question, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? Does anybody remember this? What was his first command that he responded with? You shall what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Yes, loving God. Loving God is the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. What did he say? Quoting Leviticus 19.18, he said what? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's right. So, And then he goes on to say that on these two commands, basically hang the whole law. An all-encompassing response. Focused on love, starting with loving God, the vertical dimension, and then leading to a, a loving other people, the horizontal dimension. That on those two commands, basically the whole law hangs. And so if you look at the Ten Commandments, we've just completed the first section, if you will, that really looks at righteous living in response to redemption that is oriented vertically. How we relate to the God who has redeemed us. Loving God. And now we're transitioning into a second section, if you will. Again, we see that righteous living, responding to redemption in righteous living, is going to impact our relationship with other people. Our relationship with with one another. That is, knowing Jesus, following Jesus, is not just simply me and Jesus. It's also very much a how we relate to one another in the horizontal dimension. And it makes a lot of sense, given the nature of the family, given the priority and in the, in the, in the primacy, if you will, of parents and children, to start here, doesn't it? The command is 
quite clear. Simple. And it starts by saying, honor your father and your mother. This is a command that is shaping the family. You know, you talk to so many people, mostly fathers and mothers and children, and you would think it would be very simple how a family's to relate, how a father's to relate, how a child's to relate, a mother, and how that all, but there's nothing but complexity today, a graying of the matter when it comes to the family. There's a disintegration of the family, for sure. If you want to destroy a society, one commentator said, mess with the family. Start to mess with the family. And so the Lord here begins to shape for his people that have been redeemed an, an order, an expectation as to how children are to interact with parents. The expectation he calls his people is that they're to treat their parents with honor. That word really is to give weight. That, that when we look at our mother and our father, we treat them as people that are prized. They're treasured. They carry weight in our lives. So to honor them is not to belittle them. Not to make them insignificant. Not to disregard their word and their voice. But rather to give it great regard. To give it a weight, a heaviness, a significance. It's like when the judge walks into the room, the courtroom, right? There's a there was a little chit-chatter or a little bit of casualness going on in the courtroom. All of a sudden, the judge walks in, and what happens to the courtroom? That's over, because honor is given to the judge. How about when you're waiting in the doctor's office, albeit frustrated as all get out, losing patience? There's only so many times you can flip Facebook before you're just like, it's time for me to go. Right? But then all of a sudden you're in the middle of Facebook and all of a sudden something happens that that doorknob opens up and the doctor walks into the room and that phone's gone and your attention is to the doctor. It's quite uncanny, isn't it? Why? Because the doctor's here. Our attention is now there. His presence, who he is or who she is, gives weight, gives significance. How about a business owner? Employees are kind of goofing off, sipping some Coke in the back, you know, maybe having a little chicken wing at OIP and nobody's looking. little raspberry habanero sauce. But then Joe Crab, the owner, walks in. The owner of the business walks in. Guess what happened to that chicken wing? <laughs> right? And then all of a sudden, what is that? That's significance. That's honor. That's reverence. That's respect. I think that's what the Lord is commanding for the family to really be characterized by, a place where the children, those under the authority of the parents, are giving great weight and consideration to the parents, to the fathers and the mothers. You know, the, 
people of Israel were sent into exile because they treated their parents with contempt, Ezekiel 22 says. This is at the heart of what God has for his people. There are many things that were listed as to why they were being cursed and sent away into exile was because that fathers and mothers were held in contempt. And so we see that one anothering, loving one another, starts at home. That there's an expectation uh, from God as to how his people are to relate in the home. And, and, And first and foremost, we see that children are expected to honor their fathers and mothers. And this expectation is for children young and old. It's for children that are young. That is, they're still in the home. And I think, again, this seems so simple, but I think that it can't be overstated, especially in today's world, that young children are expected to live and posture themselves in a way that is honoring unto their parents. That really the the application of that is, is really primarily what? One of submissive obedience, as Ephesians 6 talks about. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is good. This is righteous. So children are called to obey. And I think many of our children are downstairs, but this is implicitly and indirectly instruction for us as parents as to what we're to expect of our children. You know, today, there's, there's almost like this, this guilt that goes on with mothers and fathers. Do I, do I, do I really, should, I, should I really make them do something? Shouldn't they just want to do something? But I really want them to like me. right? I, I don't want them to hate me. I don't want to push them away. Almost this fear to call children to honor and obey parents. I think this is instructive that this is what God has for us. So you may be asking, what, what are you to expect of your children? What does order in your family look like? I think it's right and it's good. And it's, it's what God wants for mothers and fathers to say, you know, this is what I want for my child. Them to, to learn how to submit to authority. To learn obedience. You know, the, the family is training ground for how to learn joyful submission and obedience to the one true God, who is ultimately all of our fathers. You're teaching them each day how to submit, how to orient their lives to submit to authority and to obey the word of God. It's not just about controlling little ones. It's not what it's about. It's not just about having a tidy home and order and expectations. It's about what? Stewarding authority that God has given to mothers and fathers. God has given mothers and fathers authority. And we steward that authority. We don't abuse it. We use that authority in such a way to foster in our children a lifestyle that is oriented to submissive obedience to God the Father. Does that make any sense to you? I think that's really important. That it's not about them just being happy in the moment and getting the ice cream. It's not about befriending your children. That's, you're not buds. You're parents. Although I always tell Silas he's my best buddy. I think that's cool. But understand, ultimately, 
That's, that's not what's happening. What's happening is you are stewarding authority and they are responding to authority by considering it as significant and they're willing to submit to it. I think that's important. It shapes the family, this expectation. But it's not just young children that are expected to honor. It's also old children. We're all children here. Let that sit in. We are all children that still uh, have parents unless they've passed on and gone to be with Jesus. Still are children. And I think it's important for us to know that while it doesn't call for absolute obedience once you leave the home, even though we're older, we're still called to honor, to give weight, to give significance, to respect and revere our parents, to make sure that until their final breath, they are cared for and loved and protected and honored. It's a calling on all of us. And I think this quickly transitions to, this is not just a family thing. This is a generational issue. Doug Stewart commented on this a lot in his commentary. He just said, you know, this is not just about families, although it is. It's about one generation honoring another generation. Our, our mothers and our fathers, those who've gone before us. I think it's pretty clear today that we value being young. That it's, it's cool to look young. It's, it's cool to be young. It's, you know, you want that fresh look and, and you want to get the, the, the most, uh, you know, youthful looking clothes. And the amount of money that's spent on just staying young, covering up the aging process is, is unbelievable. It's just crazy the amount of money that's spent on staying young. And so we, we value youth, youthful vitality. And there's also this, this pride and arrogance that goes from being young that says, oh, they're washed up. They don't know what they're talking about. They're out of touch with reality. It's almost like youthful wisdom says that we should reject the wisdom of past generations. Maybe I'm overstating it. Maybe I'm overstating it. But I think there's an arrogance, there's a, there's a haughtiness in younger generations that we know better. That we've got it going for us. And really a, almost a rejection and a mocking of generations that have gone before us. And I think this command comes to us and, and, and says to us, look, it, that, that's not what God has for us. That's not the attitude that he would have for young people toward those who have been there, done that, who've gone before us. The Lord's people are those who are called to honor those who've gone before us. We've talked about this often when we talk about our vision. You know, some churches come out and they, they, they're like, we're here to reach a new generation. I'll never forget when Catalyst Church was first being formed in my mind and starting to write things down. This was back in 2008. It's like God had, had, had truthfully broken my heart for people my age. It's 24, 25, 26 years old. I was like, man, they're, they're leaving the church in droves. People are walking away from the faith. And I just felt burdened for a generation. And so I started just saying, yeah, we're going we're gonna to start a church for a, 
for a new generation. We're going to reach the young people. And I'll never forget, in the church that was sponsoring us, some lady kind of raised her hand at the time and said, is that really biblical? And I remember being so frustrated at the time, like, what do you mean? Somebody's got to reach these young people. But over time, God began to break my heart, is that she was right. That we're not called as a body to reach a generation. And so we go after every man, woman, and child in a particular place, in this geography. That God's broken us, not just for people that are like us, not for people that are just young and look like us and wear the clothes we wear and listen to the music and have the same technology we have and are comfortable. We're talking about Netflix and Hulu and all this stuff that we do. No, we're here to reach every man, woman, and child. To give them a repeated opportunity. And that the power of the gospel brings together people of multiple generations. That's what makes it what it is. And that in church planting, it's not just about young people. It's about old people coming alongside us and saying, don't be stupid. (laughs) You're, you're, You're naive. You have no experience. You're not thinking clearly. You're being hasty. Man, I know some of you young folks here have already expressed you love having the presence of people of other generations in the midst of this as we plant this congregation because there's just simply a wisdom to be honored in them. We're not here to reach a generation. We're here to reach a geography. Right? Every man, woman, and child. And I think, again, that not just has generational application for us, but it it has it's, it affects our mission because we come into this neighborhood and we realize that the average age of the people that live around this place is older than the typical suburb that many of us live in. That the average age of people who live in the suburbs is about 38 years old. That's the kind of, you know, some young, some old, 38. It's typical of the suburbs. But what we have here. The 10,000 people that live within a mile of this building, guess what? 44. You say, well, that's only six years. That's very significant when it comes to statistics. That's a lot. So I think we need to really think clearly and biblically about our mission in this place that really we need to not be indifferent and haughty and proud in the presence of another generation. In fact, the Lord has sent us to this place, this community, for the very purpose of reaching generations that have gone before us and that are older than us. And I think that's one way we honor them. We don't grow indifferent. We don't cast them aside. We regard no one according to the flesh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5. Right? But if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. So I think the Lord is breaking us and shaping us as people that honor, give weight and significance to generations that are much older than us, that have been there and done that, that have been experienced. I challenge you to go home. Google senior living in North Syracuse. It's a lot more than you think. It's a lot more than you think. Begin to pray. Pray for these people who may have never heard the gospel, and who knows how much longer they're going to be spending time here waiting for you to come and to share. Be in prayer about that. You may be saying, how do I get involved? 
Maybe this is exactly your cup of tea. Again, not one that's, that's emphasized often in the local church because, again, if we're not going to put them in this room and they're not going to write checks to fund our budget, that we're not really interested in, that doesn't really help, it doesn't really impact and grow our church. That's not our heart. Our heart's to get you out there presenting the gospel to people that need to hear it so that they might be reconciled to the living God, not investing in our budget. Amen? So be in prayer about that. So this command, honor mother and father, that, that comes to shape our family, that orients us how we relate to one another in generations, and also, I think, has very much a clear application to our mission, is one that's coupled with a promise. Look at what he says. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. What an awesome promise to a people that have lived for over 400 years in slavery. You talk about long days. Long days living under the oppression and the tyranny of Egypt. And now, attached to this command is a promise. As Ephesians chapter uh, chapter 5? No, chapter 6 says, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. Basically, if you're faithful to me in this covenant expectation, I will be, you can be assured that I will be faithful to you, that my grace, the Lord is giving you, that my grace will characterize your life and you will live there long, that your days that were once long in oppression will be what? Met with days that are much long in grace. That yes, while we don't obey God so that we might what? Be justified. That our obedience does carry with it the promise of what? His grace, that we're continuing to live in His grace. In His provision. We see this often in, the, uh, in, in Deuteronomy. And, you know, I'll never forget our wedding day, which was 16 years ago, where you think our services are long here. Our wedding service was quite long. One of the verses that Big Walt, actually, my grandfather, read that I'll never forget uh, for scripture at our wedding was Proverbs 3.1. Proverbs 3.1 is a father speaking to his son, and he says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Right? The promise of living in grace, that obedience is how we live in grace. Right? Grace doesn't give us license to do whatever we want. Grace what empowers obedience and then keeps us there in grace. I'll never forget that. My son, don't forget my teaching. Length of days, years of life, and peace they will add to you. It's a strong statement. It provides assurance and hope for us 
uh, is who may be living in long days. You know, maybe there's a season in your life that seems to be long, and you can't get out of it. You feel stuck in it, and your in your energy for obedience is is waxing. Maybe this is an encouragement to you as you hear the Lord say to you, "Look, obedience is." is what I'm calling you to, this expectation. And I'm assuring you, I'm giving you hope and assurance that you will live in my covenant blessing. And I think also it reveals the heart of our Father in heaven. This is what God has for us. Do you know that about God the Father? God the Father desires each and every one of us to live in His blessing. He wants our children to live obediently, yes, rightly so. But as He encourages obedience, He's encouraging obedience so that we end up living in His blessing, His favor, His grace. And so the command couples with a blessing, with a a promise. Here's the reality. Parents are imperfect, right? So we give this command to honor father and mother, and I recognize that there are some people here in the room that look back on a painful past where mother or father has not really related to you in a way that would typically deem uh, seem honorable. That to even utter the word father or mother conjures up emotions that are unsettling and painful and hurtful. I think today we come to the reality that there is grace for those who've been imperfect parents. Yes, the command is there honor your fathers and your mothers. But we really need the grace of God to be able to do that. I have a friend that has had a very difficult relationship with his his mom. And I'll never forget, as we were wrestling through it together, him telling me, I hope I never see her again. Matter of fact, It would be better, actually, if I never saw her again. And that sounds so coarse and so harsh. But I think that it uncovers pain. And for so many of you here in this room, you may be living in that pain. And so the call to honor father and mother is a difficult one. It's a a tough expectation because of real hurt. Maybe they've abused or misused their authority in your life and they've caused great pain. Or maybe you're a mother or a father that recognizes that you have done indeed done that. There aren't any perfect parents per se. Especially when we typically honor people who perform well. 
right? Who do we esteem? Who do we honor in society? Isn't it typically those who do awesome at what they do, like celebrities, athletes, uh, you know, people who have accomplished things? And so we honor people on the basis of what they do. And then we shame people on the basis of what they have not done or what they do. We're very performance-driven. And I think this text is calling us to honor people not on the basis of performance, just simply on the basis of who they are, our mother and our father. But it's still difficult because of pain. And I think the Lord wants to bring healing and grace to you today. And there may be some here today that it's not just imperfect parents, but imperfect children. That you've come to the realization that you have been proud. And you have belittled. And you have dishonored. And you have not revered. And you have not cared less to spend time and to listen. And to serve parents that are getting older. And right now, maybe there's a situation where the hearts of the children and the hearts of the parent are turned against one another. And so this command is not just one like, obey, do what they say, honor them, consider them great, but really is an opportunity for us to engage in reconciliation, for the grace of God to be sufficient so that we can forgive one another and walk in true Christian humility and community. That again, that this blessing that we long for, to live long in the land and have relationships that have harmony and, and that, that have mutual honoring of one another, peace of mind, forgiveness, is going to require grace from God. But we can't turn to them because they don't have it in them, and we can't turn to ourselves because we're also imperfect, that sin has made such a mess of our relationship that it just seems like an insurmountable wall to get over to have this kind of relationship with our parents. So yes, honor is our call, but I would argue that honoring is also our cure. Don't forget that. But it's not our honoring, trying harder, doing better, but it is indeed no one less, nothing less than the way in which God the Father relates to God the Son and how they honor one another. And how that honor that the Son gives the Father and the honor that the Father gives the Son is the way in which we enter into that eternal blessing of living in grace that we long for through Jesus Christ. That because of Christ, because of God the Father being perfect and God the Son being perfect, there is hope for us who are imperfect, who have made a mess of relationship. There's great hope because of the perfect Father and the perfect Son. Hope is indeed our call, but it is all the more our cure. John chapter 5, verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. 
Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. You see, the, the main message of this is equating the Son and the Father. That honoring the Son, honoring the Father. That Jesus is really claiming to be God here. But he goes on to say this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. Eternal living in grace. Eternal reception of covenantal blessing. Not just temporal in the land of Canaan, but eternal with God in paradise, in the kingdom. The promise is given. Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. You see, the father wanted to honor the son. And the son wants to honor the father. And in so doing, how does the perfect son honor the perfect father? He does so by saying, it's not my will, but I do the will of him who sent me. Not my will be done, but yours be done. It's an orientation of the perfect son to be obedient to the perfect father, even unto death, death on a cross. And so for us, the cure is the way in which the son honors the father and the father honors the son. And so hear that promise today. All you who recognize humbly that you're imperfect, that you failed miserably in the use of your authority, let me be the first to confess. I am an imperfect father who constantly needs to repent to his children and say, I'm sorry I've sinned against you. I've misused my authority in your life. Please forgive me. I find hope and healing as I look to the Father who's perfect. But not only that, as I had to make a phone call to my mother yesterday, I'm an imperfect son, and I find hope in Christ, who is the perfect son. As I called her and said, you know, Mom, I need to confess sin to you. I've been preaching with a limp this week. You know, that happens often to preachers, whether they want to admit it or not in public. That there are times where you take a literal beating from the Holy Spirit in a good way, where the Spirit of God speaks to you personally and says, this is an area of your life where you need to confess and repent of sin. And so I called my mother yesterday. Dad's probably like, you did? Uh, what do you say? Um, <laughs> and I had to say, Mom, I love you. I'm sorry. There have been times where I've, I've not honored you with my words, my actions, my attitude, and, and, you know, just on the sole basis of who you are, more so than that, on the basis of who God is and how he's redeemed me, and on the basis of the fact that honoring other people, not myself, is just what it means to be Christian, to give other people weight, not myself, and to consider them substantive, give them weight, give them priority in my life, and to respect and revere them is just simply what it means to be Christian. As Romans 10 says, outdo one another in showing what? Honor. You guys like competition? The Bible just said, go compete. Go for it. Try to beat one another at thinking of someone of the other. Imagine if a community was built on that. Honoring one another is just Christian. It means to represent him in righteous living. 
Some of you need to go to mom or dad and repent and confess your sin and say, you know what, I'm an imperfect child. Yes, you are an imperfect parent, and we all need to go to the perfect father and honor the perfect son by trusting in the word of the father as he hears it from the son. We need to trust in Jesus. Look to him. Rely upon him. Rest in his honoring. And guess what? We all together find healing and grace and live in eternal blessing with him. Honor is not only our call. It is. But honor, the way in which the father honors the son, the way in which the son honors the father, also that the people of God would have eternal blessing and live under that grace, honors our cure. Is that good news today? I pray that although we're scratching the surface in this, I pray that this sparks reconciliation in our homes. I pray that this sparks righteousness too between parents and children. Children are to honor their parents on the basis of who they are. Right? Parents are to strive to be honorable. Just because it's on the basis of who you are doesn't give you the excuse to be dishonorable. But I think we all find ourselves at the foot of the cross, grateful for the perfect Father, worshiping of the perfect Son, finding healing and grace, hope that we might live in covenantal blessing. That's my hope today. And you know, I would love for Renovation Church to be characterized by a continual honoring of one another. We go into the world and everyone's trying to self-honor, don't we? Get themselves on a pedestal. Get a raise, get a promotion. Do something significant for yourself. Self-consideration is like the fabric of society right now. May we be a people that Monday through Sunday, the ebb and flow of our lives, the interactions of our relationships, may we be a people that represent the God who honors in community as a people who honor in community. That's really what this is about, isn't it? About righteous living that represents our righteous God and celebrates the fact that He has redeemed us from all of our sin. Amen? Let's pray together. God, honoring is both our call and our cure. You have sealed it. You have made it what it is. And we give you the honor and praise that you deserve as our perfect Father and Christ as the perfect Son. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today that does not know you, that they would turn to you in faith. 
And I pray that if there's anybody here today that is living in unrepentant sin, that they would turn to you in faith, that they would confess it, and that they would recognize that they have not been righteous, that they've fallen so short of your glory and what it means to be a father or a mother or a child, a son or a daughter. And I pray that families, really the fabric of society, the fabric of the church, the family of God, be those who seek to honor and consider significant others, not selves. Lord, we pray your spirit would work this into the life of this body. And God, I continue to pray that you would give us courage and wisdom as to how to reach every man, woman, and child, not those just young like us, but even those who approach their last breath. I pray you break our hearts for this neighborhood. I pray you break our hearts for a generation that we are naturally indifferent to. And I pray that we would honor them and love them and serve them and present the gospel to them, and that they would be old dogs that we teach new tricks, who come to faith in Jesus. This we pray, trusting in you alone, and all God's people said, amen.